This is the J. Scott Outdoors podcast on Western big game hunting and fishing brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and join today. I'm your host, Jay Scott, and I live and breathe hunting and fishing, spending half the year in the field experiencing God's creation. I hope you'll enjoy hearing about our adventures. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. We're fortunate today to have three guys that are sheep, desert sheep fanatics. Uh, we've got Eric Hunt and Troy and Travis Scott, uh, Arizona Desert Outfitters. Uh, these guys are some of the best in the business. Uh, they have an incredible passion for the desert, and uh, they have an incredible passion for the desert sheep that live live in the western deserts, and um, these guys have uh, guided for many incredible trophies uh, and are known around the southwest as being some of the best uh, desert bighorn sheep guides around, and um, I'm fortunate to call all three of these guys my friends. Uh, we have guided uh, many times in the same units, and uh, we have known each other for years, and I'm uh, just uh, happy to have them on. I look forward to hearing what they have to say, as I know you listeners will. And uh, guys, how you doing? Happy to have you on today. Doing good, Jay. Glad to be on here. That's awesome. What I'd like to do um, is kind of start out and... Um, have each one of you just kind of tell a little bit about uh, how you got your start in hunting and um, a little bit how the passion of hunting started. Um, why don't I start out there with uh, with you, Troy, uh, and uh, you start me off on little history and background, and then maybe I'll have Travis and then Eric, you can weigh in. Okay. Um, well, first off, I was born in the... Uh, La Paz County at the time it was Juma County. I grew up on the Colorado River hunting and fishing and uh, during my early years my brother and I we used to do a lot of duck and goose hunting down in Cibola and all throughout the Colorado River and um, our passion for fishing was basically bass and flathead catfish and uh, toward the our later years we really got into flathead catfishing and uh, we used to uh, let them go if they were under 40 pounds. And uh, we were down at Cibola Lake, I don't know, it's about 15, 20 years ago. Travis and I caught a 62-pound flathead. And, um, and then as time went on, we started getting more into big game hunting. And living right in the heart of desert bighorn sheep country, uh, we just, kind of took that on and at some point uh, Travis and I decided that you know hey we love this so much we might as well just go ahead and you know see if we can start taking some clients out and and that's kind of where it went from there. That's awesome Troy I've got to ask you that's just too intriguing of a, of, of a intro there um, when you're fishing for those um, catfish is it primarily at night, or were you guys fishing during the day, or, or, or how are you doing that? Um, for the flathead catfish, we predominantly fished at night. We would use a live bluegill or a goldfish or a cart minnow. And, you know, it, we would be out all night long from about sundown till the uh, sun came up. And 
we'd be lucky if we caught one or two flatheads in a night. But uh, would you be um, drift drifting and fishing for those, or would you be fishing from the bank or from a boat, or how would you be mainly fishing for those? Primarily, we'd be fishing from a from the bank. Uh-huh. And uh, a few times we did go in the boat. We had a pontoon boat, and that was we were able to get into some of the areas where there'd be a lot of logs and rocks and everything. Rather than reeling them into the logs and rocks, we were able to reel them uh, away from everything. So sure. Um, but I would say about seventy-five percent of it was from the bank. Okay. And uh, is the fishing for catfish um, as good as it used to be, or is it nowhere near what the quality of, of fishing was um, now on the Colorado River? You know, that's a good question, because I really think that it's better today, because nobody's doing it. Back when I was gotcha. a kid, and Travis and I were running around, there was about a dozen people that were consistently flathead catfishing, and, you know as competitive as everything is we were always set out to catch the biggest ones and find the you know the best holes and everything and today there's those old guys have they're, they're gone they're they died yeah. moved and um today i think if i was to really get serious and start trying to flathead catfish again i wouldn't I, I believe that we would have no problem catching uh, a good stringer full of 45, 50 pound flatheads in a night. That's awesome. One of these days, I just like, I've never done it. I'd like to come down there and just go with you. And maybe it'd be fun just to do it if you hadn't done it in a while. Um, sounds sounds like a hoot. I'm sure they fight really good. Um, Travis, why don't you give me a little bit of a background on uh uh, your passion for hunting, and I'm sure it's parallels Troy's, but uh, give me give me your uh, take on your history of uh, uh, hunting. Well, you know, Jay, the fishing does have a lot to do with it, and it do- does draw a very similar parallel as to the fact that we were always trying to outdo the other people that were out there fishing the river. If somebody caught a 52... We wanted to catch a 53. Uh, <laughs> you know, we wanted, yeah. if, 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 if they caught six 40-pounders in a night, we're going to catch seven 50s in a night. Although that, that, that never happened. But we started doing that back when Troy and I loaded together on a 200S three-wheeler and headed down to the A1 backwater south of Ehrenberg. We didn't take any food with us. But we took some chicken liver to catch some channel cat in case we didn't catch any flathead. Well, the label on top of the chicken liver said not for human consumption. <laughs> we got cold and hungry, and we used uh-huh. that label because that's the only paper we had to light a fire to cook the chicken liver. Um, and me and Troy had a feast of a lifetime. I'm sure you did. That's a funny story. That's that's fantastic. Using that, going into what we did, you, you know, when I was three years old, my mom killed her ram. And then when I was, what, 11 years old, Troy killed his. We kind of always found ourselves 
looking at sheep, looking for sheep, and one way or the other being on a sheep hunt through our young, oh, I guess, pre-adolescent years into our adolescent years. And, uh, you know, growing up in the town we did, hunting was always big. There was always talk about somebody killing a big buck or somebody seeing a big ram. And it's not that we wanted to be better than them on that. I mean, we did want to go out there and catch bigger catfish or, you know, get more geese, have a bigger decoy spread or whatever. We just really loved to be out here in this desert. And uh, going out there, loving the scenery of the desert. And then growing up, my dad having the books by Jack O'Connor, having Borrego by the Arizona Desert Sheep Society. Uh, uh, you know, him always talking about Pete Similero, Jim McCaslin, Mike Mail. These guys that were real sheep legends that were still alive, not to mention Jack Walters. You know, it, it, it just really fueled the fire when we got the means that we could do what we wanted to do. It fueled the fire for us not only to make our dad proud, but to make us go out there and see what it was like. And, you know, Jay, it, it just, it, it, we didn't know how much we were missing until we got into it. And, it, you know, even though I've been guiding for 20 years, every year that I got a sheep hunt, I have the confidence and everything after so many years of doing it, but every sheep hunt, in a lot of ways, I have the butterflies as the very first sheep hunt I've ever done. Yeah, I, I I hear exactly what you're saying, and I think that the day that we don't have those, I think, is the day that we probably quit or that we've probably died, and I think that's, you know, what makes us uh, passionate about what we do, and, and um, it, it's interesting that you bring up, you know, some of the old-timers and some of the, you know, the... I'm a big Arizona history buff. I love our state. I love the desert. Uh, you know, personally, people say, well, wouldn't you want to live here? Wouldn't you want to live there? And I always tell people, my my home, my heart's in Arizona. I don't ever see myself having to leave Arizona. And if I do, it'll be a sad day. Uh, and it probably will be against my will. Here, here I on think that. Here, here on that. I think, uh, you know, until you've witnessed uh, the, those monsoons come across the desert and, and smell those smells after, a, you know, a, a big rain and, and, and smell the desert when it comes alive, I mean, I, I don't think you've lived until you smell that. And I think for me personally, and I know you guys can attest to this, I mean, there's nothing like, in my mind, there is nothing like the Arizona desert. I, don't, I really don't care what anybody says with the Ocotillo and the Palo Verde and, and, and all of our uh, diverse terrain, um, it's just there's something about the Arizona desert. Um, happy to have Travis and Troy on uh, this, this podcast. And uh, Eric, why don't you tell me a little bit about um, uh, your background in hunting and um, uh, your passion for hunting and how it got started. Uh, Jay, mine mine was about the same with uh, Troy and Travis as far as I was fortunate to be, you know, born and raised in the desert right here in Wickenburg, Arizona. 
um, a lot of great deer hunting and, and now um, some pretty good sheep hunting, you know, right out our front door. And uh, at a young age, you know, my dad, uh, my dad and my uncles, you know, they took me everywhere they went. And, you know, it, it was gave me the drive to, you know, get good grades, stay out of trouble. That way I could go on those hunts with them, you know, starting out deer hunting and everything. And it just I got hooked. Um, along came, you know, I, I tried to uh, read every magazine article I could, you know, getting tips, watching every hunting video. And it just grew from there to, you know, we started hunting big game. Arizona, New Mexico, and it just grew, you know, and, and my intro to my sheep was in 2007. Um, I was fortunate to win the uh, big game super raffle tag. Uh-huh. And when I, when I won that, I had never hunted sheep before. And I went up, I hunted with uh, a good friend of mine now, uh, Gino Wilcotti. We went up and uh, I killed a beautiful nine-year-old ram up on the Arizona strip. And right away, you know, I got the bug. Um, after that, uh, two years later, I was fortunate enough to go on another sheep hunt from a raffle. Um, my mom had won the, uh, raffle Rama at the sheep society fundraiser and, uh, she wasn't able to go. So she gave the tag to me. So, you know, I went up on that hunt, um, up there in Alberta, ended up killing my Ram on the 21st day of a 21 day season. And I tell you what, um, after that hunt, that's probably the highlight of my hunting career. Um, going in on horseback, 12 miles into the wilderness, um, having a camp set up, bare wire around the camp. You know, we rode in, it was probably 60, 70 degrees, leaves changing colors. And, and I remember talking to my buddy, Jim, who was on the hunt saying, man, it's, it's kind of warm. I hopefully it cools down a little bit. Well, a week later, uh, storms had moved in, and we had almost three feet of snow in camp, dropped down to probably negative 15, and, I mean, just hunting conditions just got really tough. You know, we weren't seeing the rams, but we ended up sticking it out. We got charged by a grizzly. Um, it was just an incredible hunt, um, and th- after that hunt, I, I was just, I was totally, uh, totally sold on the sheep hunting. Um, in 2010 is when... I first teamed up with Travis and Troy and did my first guided hunt. And uh, my experience on that hunt, hunting with Daryl Krantz, um, was just incredible. So that's that's really how I got my start, Jay. Yeah, I remember um, in 2010, I was actually um, down in the Plumosas in 44B North, and I ran into... Travis, Travis or Troy, I don't remember which one, but um, before the season, and um, they had told me that you guys had found a big ram over there, and, and uh, it, you know, then when I got to see the photos of that ram, man, what a beauty that was, and, and um, just an incredible ram. I think that ram, you guys will have to correct me, but I think it was 183 inches or something like that, maybe maybe more. Yeah, he... Ended yeah, up, just a, you know about 183 net, and I mean, that's what a way to start your your guiding career, you know, on a ram like that. I'll probably never beat it, but you know, it, it was uh, hunting with Daryl was great. You know, that type of a unit was known for you know 150 inch rams. You know, so we were realistic with them when we told them, you know, look, this this might be the biggest ram we can find. But we had trail cam pictures of some better rams and we had looked for them and looked for them since August. Um, we got a, a friend of Troy's gave him a tip 
And uh, about, I think it was a, two days before the season, we finally found him after looking for him for months. And uh, anyways, uh, Daryl was just, uh, couldn't have happened to a better guy. You know, we sat on the ramp till opening morning. Uh, you know, we made a perfect stock, got it on video. He made a hell of a shot. And uh, let's just say, you know, we were surprised at how big that ram was. <laughs> he's he's a gorgeous ram. And uh, that's that's quite a feat, uh, you know, not taking anything away from the Western deserts at all. But, you know, uh, typically the rams of that caliber uh, don't come out of the Western deserts. And, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, so, you know, a ram like that is, is unbelievable. And um, what was it like when you knew the ram was there um, you guys talk a little bit about knowing that the ram is there and having a client in the unit and, and, and you know, looking all summer and not finding the ram. And at times, I, I mean, I've been there too. You feel stupid. You feel like, you, you know, you feel like, how can I not find this animal? Um, you, you feel like your mind's playing tricks on you at times and you think he's not here. And then you go back and look at the picture and you say he is here. Yeah. Um, talk to me a little bit about how, how the dynamics of that feeling works and maybe kind of what tips you would give to, um, you know, stay in the game, so to speak. Yeah. Mentally, that's, that's a tough part because, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the trail cam pictures we get are during the summer and that's typically when the sheep are beginning to rut so there's no telling you know if that ram stays there year round or if he moves off you know once november december comes around so it's challenging you know especially in that unit when you've got a really low population of sheep in a in an extremely large unit you know a lot of country to cover um so you you look and look and look and sometimes you know you share those pictures with your client but you just have to let them know that, hey, you know, he was here now, but with these rams as nomadic as they are, you know, in a couple months, he might pick up and move 20 miles. Sure. So, like, for us, just saying to, you know, someone that's gonna, new to hunting sheep, you know, don't concentrate just right where you had those pictures or right where you saw a ram. If you're not finding that ram in that spot, try to venture out. And cover more country. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great tip. I, I always say, you know, the worst place to look for a giant ram is the last place you saw him. I mean, but logic will tell you that you've got to go look where you last saw him. But most most of the time, you're better off going, you know, on the perimeter and and because they 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 often go back to the same spot twice often. Yep. But it seems like they cycle and, and, and sometimes have no rhyme or reason. Um, Travis and Troy, uh, can you chime in a little bit on the, on the fact of how nomadic our desert bighorn sheep are and, and, and give me a little of your insight on that subject? You know, Jay, that's a very interesting point. Um, you know, I can't say personally that I've chased a ram over a hundred miles by any means but we did have a ram on trail camera back in 2012 and yeah 2012 uh Eric will remember this ram the ram we called RL yep and in a matter of 
three days, I think it was, the ram traveled 16 miles to a total different water hole for no apparent reason. The ram had lived there for two years, and then he just decided to go on a walkabout. It wasn't that we had rain. It wasn't that there were no sheep up there. It was just that ram had a wandering bone. And then over in California, Richard Colby was uh, was uh, telling us about a ram that they collared. And they that ram stayed pretty much on that mountain for a month. And in three days' time, that ram traveled 57 miles just to go where he wanted to be. So, you know, it, you obviously start the last place you saw him. And then from there, you just go look for sheep, and and, and you look just where you look where you haven't looked. Every day that you go out there and you don't find him, that tells you where he's not. Correct. And then you keep moving forward from there. And, well, and and two, don't you agree that you know every day that you don't find him, you're closer to finding him, and I think. If you can take that mindset of, you know, you're getting your, you know, butt handed to you day after day, you're just one step closer to turning him up. You know, Jay, that is exactly it right there. You can't get the defeated attitude. And I try to tell, you know, most per, most prospective sheep hunters that are getting very frustrated on everything while they're out there scouting, you know, don't look at it as you're losing. Look at it as you were winning and and take the knowledge that you're gaining each day that you don't find him and then narrowing in where he might be. But, but there's also the case of 2012 when we had a great big ram in 44B North. Eric will know this story. And the ram was named Grande. We had him two different years on one water hole. And this ram would have truly been a legend. Nobody ever saw that ram with their their uh, naked eye or or, or 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 their own natural eye. All we had was trail cam picks. And we flipped every rock over looking for this ram. We couldn't find him. We felt like we were chasing a ghost. And the ram just disappeared. So you have to be realistic also. You know, yeah, I mean that that that's a great point. I mean, at a certain point, you can be chasing your tail, and I think I think when you have pictures in the summer of a ram, you have to assume that the ram is there. Where the and and I'm pretty sure that ram you're talking about it in 2012, the ram you and Troy uh, showed me uh, this December yes. when I was over there. Yes. You know, at at some point when when you haven't gotten photos on any of your cameras uh, and had no sightings for a couple of years, you know, while you're still looking for that ram, you know, at some point you have to know that they've probably run their course and that they may not be alive. And that if you do find them that, you know, you're just, um, uh, you know, you've gotten good fortune that day to, to you know, to run across them. Uh, that that leads us um, leads me into a perfect um, question: uh, a ram uh, that you guys killed this year in 44B North um, was a ram uh, that 
that I had pictures of in 2010 and had seen several times when I was in there and um, just a beautiful ram. And I know you guys have an unbelievable history with this ram. Um, a, a little side note to the story. Uh, you guys uh, had 144B North this year and I was fortunate to have uh, Avery Elms, 12-year-old Avery Elms from uh, Baker City, Oregon in there. And um, when her dad called and booked the hunt, I was really excited because I knew that ram was in there. And uh, when when her dad said that she had school till the 19th of December, I was a little bit heartbroken knowing that the other hunter was going to have a chance at that ram before we did at that time, not knowing that you guys had the other hunter. Um, you guys uh, got the other hunter and did a fantastic job of um, uh, getting that ram harvested. But w walk me through, guys, um, a little bit of the journey of the ram. Uh, we knew him as Lefty. Uh, I believe you guys knew him as Shaq or have other names. Tell me a little bit about the history of that ram. You know, I think it's best that Troy and Eric start about the beginning history of him, um, and then we'll all share our own stories. Troy, I think, should go first about him. Yeah. Uh, Jay, I, uh, <coughs> I first discovered that ram in 2012, and it was kind of by accident. I was looking uh, when I had pulled my cameras and my cards and everything, I was pretty well focused on the uh, the RL Ram and the Grande Ram, and we had a couple of other uh, third and fourth place Rams in that unit. And I was up at Mormon Lake with Eric um, on the bow hunter happening, and we had rented a cabin. And that morning I was sitting there at the kitchen table, and I was just going back through all my trail camera picks, just kind of uh, summarizing to make sure I haven't missed any particular ram standing out. And I just happened to notice some, some pictures of this ram back in the far right-hand corner of my camera. And uh, anyway, I started looking at them more and more and more, and I brought it to Eric's attention. And I said, hey, look at this ram right here. This, is, this ram's really something special. And so when I got home, of course, I... Uh, I notified Travis about it, and, you know, and we were pretty well focused on Grande and RL, and we really didn't, you know, have him high on our priority list, but the, in 2013, I picked the Ram up again on the trail camera, and I and by this time, RL had been uh, harvested, and... Um, we couldn't find Grande, and we started looking into uh, Rocky a little more, or Jack, or as you call Lefty. And um, anyway, going into that season, we didn't have a hunter. We were crossing our fingers. We tried to keep it as quiet as we could. And, um, you know, after the season ended, we were high-fiving one another that he didn't get harvested. <laughs> Yeah, I, I have to say I was—I uh, never wish anybody ill will, but 
I definitely was happy to know that that he made it through just a just a gorgeous ram. Yeah. So that that was that was the 2013 season, and then obviously here comes the the 2014 draw. And um, why don't you take it over from there? Yeah. Well, you know, um, obviously by the summer of uh, 2014, that was the ram that we were we were looking for and um i picked him up on a couple of different uh water holes and it and and one trip travis and i were going in to check the cameras and we happened to notice the ram up on the skyline and of course we didn't know it was him at the at the moment but um anyway we got the video camera out we started videoing him and by the time we got done videoing him and heading home, we realized that, um, you know, that was Rocky. And once we knew that we had Rocky, I went back, I looked at my video camera, and I asked Travis coming home that afternoon um, when we got done filming him. I said, Travis, did that ram have a chip on the right horn? Yeah. He goes, I said, did did he have this on the left horn? And he goes, yeah. And I go, okay, I think I got that ram pegged. I think I'm, I'm going to have to go home and look at my trail cam pics. And so I took my video and, you know, put the pictures on pause, and I compared them with the trail cam pics. And, and it was really exciting to find out that we actually got an, an actual eyeball on this ram and we were within 80 yards of him taking video. And, um, and this is the ram that, you know, we initially found back in 2012. And, uh, and then as the season, as the draws came out, you know, we learned that Vince Smith had drawn the tag and it couldn't have been any better because we had, uh, been, you know, talking with Vent, told him to put in 44B North, and and from there on, you know, uh, once we found out that he had the tag, it, it, it was on like Donkey Kong. And um, that's, was, that's awesome. Tell me about the excitement level as far as um, going into the hunt uh, and, and and the the pressures of of staying on the ram, and from that time when. You saw him in the summer. How many times did you see him, and how elusive was he, guys? I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and pass this on over to Travis. Uh, he he's literally jumping up and down in the seat, so um, I'm gonna <laughs> let him uh, go go with that. Okay. You know, Jay, it started with the very first time that I saw him in person. Of course, we saw trail camp picks, and we had him named as Rocky forever. The trip that Troy's talking about where we were driving into the guzzler and to uh, check our camera, I looked up and I saw this ram and I said, Troy, that's a big ram. But there was a smaller ram. All you could see was just a little bit of his face, but there was a smaller ram being skyline. And Troy said, no, nah, that's not a big ram. And I said, well, look at the ram to the left. He curls way up above his eyes. He tips out. It's everything you look for. Oh, yeah, look at that ram. And I remember thinking that I really made a buffoon out of myself saying, 
I think that's a 180 Ram. Because I can be kind of quick to say something that I don't mean sometimes. I think we all know that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, when we went in there and started scouting, gosh, we were looking for the lost, the lost Dutchmans after that. We never saw him. <laughs> never saw yeah. him. Vince yeah. Smith went in there, though, when we were – we thought we – found him once in September and we were up there, me, Troy and Eric were up there on the raffle hunt and we got a picture from Vince that said, I think I found him and there were four angles and there was no doubt that Vince found him and the excitement level went from, I don't know where he is, which is a negative one to a plus ten in a matter of well, I guess airtime seconds. And sure. uh, we knew that it was game on once again. Um, but then once the hunt started, the hunt started over again. You know, uh, the, everything about that ram was totally 110% a hunt. Sure. Um, and then uh, Travis, so when Vince found him, then he went MIA again, um, I believe, and uh, I'm sure uh, you got. I was up with Dar in 15D, but I'm sure you guys were. You know, I know how it is when you're trying to get it done. Um, it, it's crazy how those Rams can just disappear, even when they have very, very experienced eyes. You know, all over them. Um, tell me a little bit about the discomfort that that you felt. Uh, that we all feel at times and, you know, how you just went about your business of trying to turn him up. Well, Jay, we knew that we had serious competition in that unit. And, <laughs> and you and I both know what I'm talking about. Our, <laughs> our biggest concern was finding that Ram. It wasn't, well, we have to beat the competition or anything, but we didn't... Me and you talked on the phone about that Ram. We didn't yeah. want you to have that Ram in your backpack. We wanted to have that Ram. And you if, if I remember, yeah, exactly. If I, if I want to quote the words exactly, I think the last time you talked now, one of the interesting, the fun things to look back now, we can all laugh about it. At the time, maybe it wasn't all that funny, but uh, Travis and I had a conversation with each other and, and I distinctly remember him saying, see, I wasn't trying to lead on that my hunter couldn't make it to the 19th. What I thought was that, that obviously by trying to get my client the best ram that I could, that if, if I played the cards that we weren't going to show up till the 19th of December, that it would basically, uh, just allow you guys a complete free roll in there. And, and I, I remember going back and forth with you a little bit and I remember you saying, Jay, I hope the last time you see that Ram is in the back of my pickup That's truck. That's exactly <laughs> right, Jay. I, I remember laughing and thinking, oh, man, this, this Ram's in trouble. Um, yes. Tell, tell me about, Travis, um, uh, the moment that the Ram was found, I believe, was on the second day. And Tell me about the exhilaration. Tell me about the feeling when you put your eyes on him and you knew it was him and um, the anticipation and all of that. And then walk me through um, 
you know, the the Ram and what it ended up scoring and, and all of that. Well, Jay, I wish I could tell you that I sat back <laughs> at three miles and glassed a great big Ram up, and he was the one, and we knew it, and everybody was there. It was completely the opposite. Me yeah. and Randy Johnson from uh, Utah, um, great guy. We just got done in 44B South. We decided to uh, hit one spot in 44B North that I thought could hold that ram. We looked everywhere else. The ram was gone. But where hadn't we looked? And, you know, I woke up that morning ready to go, and then realized that I was out of Copenhagen. So we had to drive all the way to Zip Truck Stop, and then drive all the way back out there, and we went and parked, and uh, we looked but, but real fast with that, um, I have to interrupt. So I'm going to mark down here on necessity for gear. Copenhagen is at the top of your list to, <laughs> in order to have a successful sheep hunt. Well, right? it's in order to have a very pleasant sheep hunt. <laughs> okay, okay, I got you. Yes, but uh, we went and we looked at a couple of rams, and, uh, you know, Randy was about, Oh, 20 yards away from me. And I said, well, I'm going to walk over the next ridge. And when I walked over, I saw with my naked eye, I saw him. And there was no doubt in my mind that it was him with my naked eye. I threw the tins up. It was him. And I waved Randy up and he said, well, let's make sure and get everybody here. And I said, hang on before we cause alarms. Why don't we get the big eye on him? And there was no doubt once we saw him. And then, Jay, once all the communication started that we had him, it, 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 it just, man, it really got messed up after that. There was, uh, I guess, text going back and forth that it's not him, um, that it's a false alarm and everything. And I'm sitting up there on the hill with a dead phone and no radio. And I'm looking at this ram going, and I'm looking down two miles away, and I can see everybody having a sandwich. And I'm going, why are you having a sandwich when you got this ram standing here? Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, but I enjoyed that background. time of watching him. What was that, Eric? You were just saying, saying uh, Brooks and I were driving back from uh, 44A West, and we got the text from Troy saying we found Rocky, and, and right then we we were close. I mean, we were right there at the Plumosas, and I told Brooks, hey, man, they've got Rocky. Let's start heading that way. So we start heading that way, and about, I don't know, 15 minutes later, we get a text saying, it's not him. It's not Rocky. So we're like, oh, okay. you know. So then we turn back around, start heading back to Wickenburg. <laughs> About 20, 30 minutes goes by, and Ed Troy sends another text. Wait, it's all messed up. It's him. We're going to kill him. <laughs> yeah. And Jay, oh, yeah. I'm sitting there on the side of the mountain, not knowing that any of this is going on. I have no communication. I'm trying to get Randy hand signals from two miles away. Vince overshoots uh, uh, Randy, where he was supposed to meet him, drives by Randy, Takes off running. I'm looking with my tens at him. Fifteens are on uh, on a Rocky. Or no, not the fifteens. The uh, the twenties uh, are on Rocky. And I see Randy just elbows in the air, chasing 
three quads down the road. And I'm going, what is everybody doing here? <laughs> yeah, the funny thing about that was I was with uh, the hunter that killed the ram the day before, Jack Chastain in 44B South. And uh, I had gotten a, a, a phone call from Travis says, we've got Rocky head on over. So Jack and I started uh, headed over to where they're at. And in that meantime, I had called Eric and said, we've got Rocky. And then all of a sudden, I get a text from Vince, and it said, it's not him. So I looked over at Jack, and I said, well, we'll just go into court site, and let's go get a taco over there at Taco Mio. <laughs> and then, so we're on the highway. We're headed to Taco Mio, and Randy Johnson called me and said, hey, has anybody gotten a hold of Vince? We're, uh, where, where's everybody at? And I said, well, I just got a text from Vince, and he said that it's not him. And Randy said, the hell it's not him. Travis is 300 yards away from him, sitting up there babysitting him. And I said, oh, my gosh, man, this thing is falling apart. <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, we, uh, we all just trusted the word that Travis still had him. And we went over there, and um, after that, uh, you know, the rest is history. Um, it was kind of an emotional uh, deal when I um, finally got over to the Ram. Uh, this this is where the story's the best, Jay. And I I had so much history with that Ram, and I had you know basically been obsessed over him that uh, when I come walking up, I'd already. I had already been thinking about it walking up to the ram that uh, I actually, um, I actually, it's okay. To I, say I, it. I, I, I actually cried and um, I had to take my glasses off and put my head down and wipe up quite a few tears away, you know, from my eyes. It, 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 because it was just, it was just the fact that, you know, we had worked so hard for this ram. I was so appreciative, you know, for what God gave us, and um, it, it was an emotional moment for me, you know. Uh, you know how when that's you, awesome. you kind of cry Absolutely. when you're happy, but sometimes you're kind of sad, you know, because it was over. It was over with that ram, and and it was, you know, and, and what was really cool about it was is everybody stepped back, and they let me have my moment with him. And, um, it, it, you know, and, and I really, that was probably one of the best moments of my whole deal on the hunt was, is everybody just kind of step back and just let me have, you know, just let me have my moment of silence with Rocky and, um, and look at him and hold his horns and everything, because that's how much that ram meant to me. That's an awesome story. Uh, there, I mean, there's no doubt knowing you guys as well as I do. Um, the passion runs deep. And, you know, quite honestly, if you didn't have those moments, uh, you wouldn't be as good as you are. So, um, you know, you. that that's that's yeah. that's what uh, fuels the passion. And, uh, you know, that's that's what makes all, all three of you guys, um, the, the guys, the guides and the outfitters and the hunters that you are. Um, what did Rocky end up scoring? Uh, I know you guys have had him officially scored, and 
Uh, I believe he blows the unit record out of the water. Um, I think what, what, he's gross 183 and 6 or 5. Yeah. And That's seen. awesome. Just just an incredible ram. Um, I I still haven't seen him, uh, seen the horns in person. Uh, one of these days I'll have to get together with you guys and well, go see I him at Vince's. Well, I guy. Who I'm sure to be getting a set of replicas, Jay. So I oh. sure that you get to see them. We can have a we can have a replica viewing uh, party or lunch yeah. there, and, and uh, I'll make that, sure that, that they're great. sitting in the back of my truck. Yes, yeah, I, I was going <laughs> to say uh, you've got to live up to your um, uh, our conversation for sure. That, that's a, a, I'm having Steve Stainer um, make a set of replicas and Travis. Uh, myself, uh, myself, and and Eric, um, we've all gone in to have three sets of replicas made. So um, awesome. here, probably in a couple of weeks, um, they'll be completed, and we'll have to. I'll definitely get a hold of you, and you can take a look at those up close. Hey, hey that's awesome. Hey, yeah. Hey, hey Jay, I don't mean to make this go on any longer, but I do want to say something on that ram. You know, uh, my real brother, uh, um, you know, Troy obviously is his blood, but my hunting brother, Eric, um, he had the chance to be on that hunt, and he chose to go do, or I guess he had to go do another hunt, and he knew that we were going to be hunting Rocky, and he unselfishly said, you know, you guys go hunt Rocky, and I'm going to go to 44A West and uh, get it done. But, you know, somewhere inside, I really, really, truly wanted Eric there with us, you know. Um, Eric was a part of that ram, and I really wish that he could have been there when everything happened. I mean, I really do. It almost felt like somebody was missing during you know, during the entire thing, sure. Eric showed up later on that night, but it really felt like that Eric was missing through the whole thing. Well, that's cool that you guys have that bond that you do, um, which leads me into my next um, series of questions. Uh, you guys actually had, uh, not just with Rocky, but you had a really good year in 2014 guiding Um uh, can you guys uh, give me a little rundown? Uh, maybe Eric, you run with this uh, on on the other Rams. I know uh, Travis and Troy that the Ram in 44B South, I believe, was 177 or eight inches. Uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Just a beautiful, big, 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 nasty, beautiful Ram. Uh, and Eric, you had uh, quite a bit of success over there in in 42 and 44. Yep. Um, fill me in on, on, on your 2014, uh, successes. Well, um, you know, we've, we've been scouting these units. We scout year round. So, you know, we, we, ha we develop a lot like a relationship with these sheep, you know, we see them a lot and they mean a lot to us. And, and this was the year that we were actually able to book the hunters in the units we wanted. So we had a chance to hunt those rams. Um, our first hunt, we were able to book the, uh, super raffle hunter, um, this year. And that was Jim Ford. Um, we planned on hunting sometime October um, and ended up being in November. So um, our plan was to to get up and hunt, you know, 15D, north-south, 16A. 
And so what we did is we, we kind of built a, a big team and we had two camps set up. Um, Travis and Troy and Brooks at times were down in 16A and, uh, and I was up with the rest of the guys scouting 15D and 15D North. And, and one of the things Jim Ford, um, wanted on the hunt, he didn't want to, he didn't want to get a phone call and say, Hey, we found a big ram. He wanted the actual experience, which, you know, we try to give all of our clients, you know, cause it might just happen one time in their lifetime. So, uh, you know, Jim came up, he brought his dad and he brought his best friend, which I thought was cool. Um, just had a great time. Um, we, we looked over a ton of rams. I mean, both camps were finding a lot of rams. We were communicating back and forth. Um, we took Jim on, on some pretty long wilderness hikes. I, I believe one day we covered about, oh, 15 to 16 miles in 15 D South. And, uh, just a great day. He hung, he hung in there great. Um, we were able to find two of the rams we were looking for and almost pulled the trigger on one. It was a ram we called, uh, wingnut. And, old ram we figured you know 10 11 plus years old um but he was cool i mean we figured tip to tip he was about 30 inches and you know we were above him we watched him for probably an hour and a half we talked back and forth and we just decided you know hey let's let's just walk away you know he's gonna be here um great choice on that um we ended up hunting a full week I think we looked at, and Travis and Troy might correct me, um, we probably looked at close to 75 to 100 rams in that time. Um, does that sound accurate, guys? Uh, yeah. yeah, a ton. I mean, you know, Jay, up there, you, you see a, you're see just going to yeah. see a ton of rams, but finding finding a, a big ram is tough. You know, our goal was a Boone and Crockett ram, um, but we know you know, and years back, that's tough to do. Uh, we ended up, uh, the day before Jim killed, it, it was in the evening. Um, we got into an area and we just, we just found a ton of rams. I think we saw over 30 rams, um, that night. And I believe one of the, there was one herd with over 20 rams in it and a few of them looked big. So, um, the last day we moved everybody up there. We went in there and looked and, uh, ended up finding Jim's ram. You know, there was another ram in there that was big, and then all of a sudden uh, Jim's ram walked by. And I think Travis and Troy saw him walk side by side, and that's big when when you're judging sheep because it's – it's. I mean, you can look at a ram and say, yeah, that's a nice ram, but when he steps next to another one and you can really compare, that really helps make your decision. Um, anyways, big-looking ram. We knew he was heavy, long on the right side. He had broomed um nice you know cape on him old white faced and jim was jim loved him the rings around his eyes yeah the the white rings around his eyes i mean he's just a beautiful ram uh so we sat back um troy said a little prayer which is cool before we made the stock and and brooks jim and i um went in and as we were stocking up the canyon we uh we bumped another ram that was down in the bottom. And of course, you know, he's got a million different ways he can go. He ends up going right at the other sheep. So we're like, you know, uh-oh, we better kind of start to move. And as we're getting up to the rock we want to shoot at, Travis is on the radio saying, hey, guys, the ra- he's getting nervous. You need to make it happen fast. And so we got up there, um, really intense, 15 seconds, and – uh Jim made a great shot, tipped the ram over, um, just a beautiful ram. 
Um, ended up nine years old. I think Game of Fish scored him at 172 gross, uh, 170 and a half net. I think he had 15 and a half inch bases. Just a just a beautiful ram. Yeah, you know, Eric, that's a great story. I I can attest to um, 15D uh, north and south um, having. Dar and I fortunate to guide the raffle hunter uh, the three years prior to when you guys guided it. Uh, one of the things that's uh, just so fun about that raffle hunt is the fact that you basically have all of that country to yourself and you can look over a lot of sheep and you don't have to worry about, you know, if you find a ram that you want to harvest, you really don't have to worry about anybody else, you know, boogering the ram or anything and, and you know, uh, the the Arizona Super Big Game Raffle uh, sheep hunt uh, j- has generated quite a bit of money in the last couple of years, and um, all of that money goes to our Desert Bighorn sheep as well as the auction tag. Um, uh, you know, having guided it and listening to your story of guiding it, uh, I'm glad you guys got a nice, beautiful big ram, and uh, congratulations to you guys, and I'm I'm glad you guys. We're able to enjoy a, a, a raffle hunt and, and get to experience some of those Nelson. I know most of your experience has been with the Mexicanas. I, a, a quick question for all three of you. Um, in in Eric, you obviously shot your raffle ram in 2007, which was yep. Nelson. I because that's pretty much what you have to hunt on that that hunt. There are a few Mexicanas in 16A. Um, what are you guys' impressions of the differences between Nelson I sheep and Mexicanas as far as, um, you know, one of the things Dar and I always notice seems like the Nelsons are always up on the high peaks, always up in the rocks where a lot of times the Mexicanas are down on the transition, down on the desert floor. Um, tell me what you guys thought about the Nelson I and maybe some of the, the similarities and some of the differences. Uh, you know, one thing on that, Jay, is, is you're right. I mean, we had a transition from hunting desert sheep, you know, in, in southwestern Arizona where typically, you know, we start on, you know, the lower rollers or, or the lower half of the mountain when we're looking for those older rams. That's where they tend to be and want to go, that gentle country. Um, when we moved up there, you know, you were right. I mean, uh, we had to change that because – most of the sheep we were finding were on the very top of that mountain. Um, and so, yeah, definitely once we kind of figured that out, you know, it helped out, um, quite a bit. Um, we did notice, uh, you know, on his Ram, his Ram body size seemed to be a little bit bigger than the, the Rams down, you know, at least the Cape thicker. And as far as like, uh, judging, you know, when those Rams are, are, wide flaring like that it definitely you know it's a different type of judging you know you kind of have to adjust and try to figure out you know from the angle okay you know he shoots way out but does he curve up you know that that's kind of the things i noticed on on the nelson rams yeah i mean uh travis and Troy, i'll let you guys go next but i mean absolutely eric i think when i started looking at nelson i uh sheep one of the hardest things is when they're looking at you, you know, they're flared out and then they turn completely sideways 
you're used to looking at a Mexicana and judging how far the bottom of that curl comes up and, you know, tips up either, you know, trying to get up above its uh, jawline or up, up above its nose. But very rarely do you get a uh, Nelson eye that's going to actually curl and tip up. They usually kind of curl and tip out. And um, it can be very, very difficult to judge length, I think. And and not not only that, it kind of throws the mass off because – you know, your your eye is kind of trained to catch those second and third quarters and, and be able to judge, you know, your mass down low where when they tip out and when they're they're perfectly broadside, um, the, the, the horn is actually basically pointing out towards you and it's really hard to get an idea of mass. Um, Travis and Troy, can you weigh in on a little bit on that? Uh, pretty much everything that you said and Eric said, uh, spot on. Um, yeah. I, to me, Nelsons are, are harder to judge than Mexicanas because yeah. you have more straighter profiles to look at. You know, how far does he drop below the jaw? How far does he come up? You know, um, looking at the horn, uh, a ram straight on and then a profile view just to kind of judge those second and third quarter measurements and even the bases and everything. So um, it, it, I would have to say if somebody said, you know, I am an expert Nelson desert <laughs> judge, uh, they, they, they better damn well be good because yeah, as they're far tough. as I'm concerned, they're the hardest to judge from because, it, it, m- most of their horns are going out away from their heads, and it's hard to judge the mass, the length, and everything else. So um, they, exactly mm-hmm. what Eric said and what you said, I can I I I can attest to that. Absolutely, and, and Tro- uh, Travis, not to cut you off, um, uh, but there's a couple things I want to cover, and and we're uh, we're already getting pretty Bye. well into this episode. Uh, Eric, why don't you finish up? Just give me kind of the brief synopsis of how you guys finished up in 42 and and 44. And then I kind of want to talk about uh, the 2015 proposed uh, regulations and numbers. So um, you guys had a phenomenal year last year. I believe you harvested seven rams over 170 inches. Um, But give me six rams. rams. Give me me a brief... uh, kind of description of them and the, the units and the scores and, and the hunters. Okay. Um, basically, once our December hunt started, we had uh, we had six more hunts to do, so we kind of broke it into two camps. Uh, Travis and Troy were going to do 44B North, uh, 44B South. Brooks and I um, went to 44A West with Tom Shore, and then we were going to move after that to uh, 42 um, and finish the next two while Troy and Travis went to 44A East with Dale. Um, it was it was a lot, you know, it was a lot on our plate, but everything worked out. Um, our first hunt with uh, Tom Shore, 44A West, um, was great. I mean, we had some some rams that we were looking for. Uh, spent weeks in there with with hardly seeing any sheep, and I mean, the pressure was building on Tom. The pressure was building on us. Um, we just couldn't find a ram that that we were looking for. Um, the day before the season, I was up with Tom on a point. Um, and Brooks was out um, a couple miles from me, 
and it's one of those things where I was I was using the koas. I was looking a long ways, and I kept I kept questioning, man, that looks like a sheep. And I told Tom, it looks like a sheep, but you know it's not moving. Well, it ended up being a U. I looked back there; it was about I think four miles, and there's a ram standing there. And I'm like, man, that looks like a good ram. Well, Brooks got closer, um, told me right away that he's a pig. You know, the ram's a pig. That's so when we were talking on a radio 50 yeah. miles away. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, our Kenwood radios work pretty well. They went from uh, over by Parker to uh, the Plumosas. Um, that was pretty good. But anyways, um, what a relief. You know, okay, we got a ram. Now now it's just waiting. Okay, is he going to stay put? You know, um, that's always a lot of pressure. So we watched him till that night, uh, went in there the next morning, couldn't find him at first. Um, I took Tom in there, got up to where we thought he was. He was across the canyon. Um, Tom made a great couple of shots and uh, and uh, about 426 yards and, and got his ram. And I tell you what, it's, it's, it's such an honor for us to hunt with these guys. You know, it's their one chance. They waited so long and, you know, they have kind of that pressure built up. And, and like for Tom, you know, once he – once he shot that ram and he knew he was down, he just he just started bawling. You know, it's it's just so cool to be a part of something like that. Um, it it really is, and I see it come out more in uh, desert sheep hunting. It seems like uh, with guys because of you know it, it is truly a once in a lifetime hunt, and uh, you know it 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 does seem to bring the emotion out uh, more on those animals for sure. Um, yeah. And yeah, he was a beautiful ram that you guys had killed for sure. Yep, and he ended up uh, game and fish one seventy five gross, one seventy three and something net. Um, uh, another another great ram. From there, you know, we we got him down. I, I said I te- sent a text out, ram down. I get a text saying ram down, and I'm thinking, whoa, we got two rams down within you know by ten o'clock on opening day. So that was cool. Um, Travis and Jack had shot a ram in 44B South, and then that next day they shot uh, Rocky in, in uh, the Plumosas. Um, after that, uh, on the 3rd, uh, Troy and Travis and Randy and the crew, they went and helped Dale day one, helped Dale in 44A East. Um, I believe he killed a 160 ram. I mean, to kill a ram like that in 44A East, you know, basically your goal is to kill a – a class four ram you know eight nine years old or better and they got it done um pretty awesome um then we moved camp uh we were excited to hunt 42 42 was the second year that it had been open and um still some good rams in there um we had steve quinn and caitlin farrington um steve quinn ended up killing a 172 ram i believe on I think the fourth or fifth day of hunting, we had we had looked at other rams and stuff like that. Some other things had happened. Um, killed a ram that we had never seen before. I mean, we never had trail cam pictures. We never had anything of him. And uh, the other, another friend of ours, Troy Farrington, had, had kept telling us of a ram he saw by himself, and he called him Limpy. And we just thought, you know, maybe – Troy had been drinking too many beers or what <laughs> because no one had ever seen this ram and and this limpy myth he had four horns yeah right? he just called this, of course every ram Troy sees is a monster this dude <laughs> not to be monster. confused with Troy Scott yeah I understand. Troy Farrington but anyways um love you Troy but anyways he, you know like I said he said there's this other ram yada yada 
Well, Brooks had found him, and we got Steve over there, and we we looked at him, like we haven't seen this ram before, and and sure as heck, there's a ram, old ram, and he's limping. I mean, he can hardly get around. <laughs> so we're like, holy cow, Troy was telling the truth. Um, went in there. Um, Steve made a couple good shots, killed another another old and great ram. Um, and then our last hunt was uh, was Caitlin Farrington, and that was. That was a special hunt for me because, you know, the Farrington family I've been friends with for a long time, you know, so I, I they're like, you know, um, like daughters to me, I kind of feel like. And uh, so it was cool to be able to hunt with her. And I tell you what, you know, just a great, great uh, girl to hunt with. I mean, the whole time, you know, never complained, did some long hikes. Um, we were hunting a ram that we had called Oscar. And Oscar, we had thought that Dave Acosta had killed the year before until he showed back up this year. And we're like, wait a second, you know? Um, so we found Oscar, uh, the first day we found him, he was in a good spot. He was alone, but he was a really cagey ram. Um, we put a stock on him and had him at 200 yards, but he, he knew something was up. He kept looking down our way. We were down behind a rock pile, looked at our way, you know, looked towards us. And then he just kind of bolted, took off. Um, took off, went about a mile, watched him all day. Um, it was hot, took Caitlin, made a big loop, um, and made a play on him that evening. Same thing, hiked way to the top of a huge mountain, really hot. Um, Caitlin hung in there. And, uh, as soon as we got to where we were going to shoot, it was going to be about a 300 yard shot. Um, the ram walked over the ridge out of sight. And so it was kind of a heartbreaker, you know, like, oh, man, he's that close. So we backed out. Um, she had to go to work for a couple of days. Um, we came back out, and this time it was perfect. You know, it was just the way it was meant to be. Her mom was there. Um, her family was there. We had everybody there, and we found Oscar. Everybody got to sit back and watch. We went in there. Um, he was with some ewes. Um, we had some fog that morning, which helped us make the stock to the base of the mountain. And the fog lifted. Um, we closed the gap a little bit, and she made a 270-yard shot, one shot, and the ram was dead. And uh, 174 gross, just another another beautiful ram, and that was that was one of the highlights for me this sheep season. And the new unit record. Yeah, and the new unit record. Yep. Fantastic. That's awesome. So um, that, that's a great year of sheep hunting. I believe seven rams total that were harvested. Um, just just an awesome feat. Uh, and uh, congratulations to you guys. Thank you. I want to I talk to you guys about the proposed hunt recommendations that have been pr proposed by the Game and Fish Department, uh, I believe at this point it goes to the commission for them to vote on this. Um, I want to talk to you guys specifically about um, Region 4. Um, they have added some, quite a few tags, in my opinion. It seems as though I'm looking at it right now. Um, you know, with with the addition of the tag in 44B South uh, from one to two, the addition of two tags in 44B North from uh, two to four, um, there are additions 
in, I believe, uh, 45A of two permits, bumping it up to three, uh, an additional permit in 45B. Um, they've obviously split the Cabeza Prieta into 46A having two permits uh, in an east and a west, and then 46B going from seven tags total in the whole unit to making a uh, east and a west, four tags in each, so now eight total. Um, specifically, I want to ask you guys about 44B north and 44B south, and then with the tags in 42, um, I don't, let's see, they didn't change anything in 42, but they still have two permits in 42 and, and 44A uh, in the portion south of Highway uh, 60. What are your feelings with the additional tags? How will that affect the um, hunting quality and, and or uh, the trophy quality in those units in you guys' opinion? Eric's the guy to talk to about that. Eric knows that place like the back of his hand. Are you talking about 42, Jay? Well, yeah, 42 and then 44B North, 44B South. Any one of you can jump in. I, can, uh, um, I, I for one, am going to go on the record and say that I'm a little bit alarmed in the 44B North. I understand yeah. they flew their survey. I hate to see any time a doubling of any tags, yep. uh, quite honestly, in any species. I know that they got a, 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 a formula that they use of Class 3 and 4 rams, but... What makes me nervous is the quality of hunt. I know 44B North like you guys know 44B North, and it, there's just not a lot of country, and I, I feel like the four hunters are going to be all jammed on top of each other. So why don't we start with 44B North, and then we'll bounce to 44B South, and then to 42. Yeah, I, I agree, uh, Jay. Uh, 44B North is, is it's a special unit. And um, you're going to, you know, the the key to 44B North is handling it with uh, kid gloves. Um, I know there's a lot of rams in there, but the one night that we all had dinner, you did say, hey, guys, can you believe I didn't see a single sheep today? So it, it doesn't mean that, you know, 44B North is just crawling with sheep everywhere you look. But, um, it, it, you know, it, it is easy, but at the same time, you can go a day or two and not see any sheep at all. And But having four tags in there, um, how about let's go back to the days when it was three tags. You know, that was a little more acceptable. Uh, there were still some great rams being killed, Boone and Crockett rams, but... Now that we brought it up to four tags, and if they're all going to be in there at one time, it is a small place. It's going to be people stacking up on one, on on top of one another, and um, and and my honest humble opinion is because there's so much road access in there. If you know, um, you can't walk more than a mile without crossing a road or whatever. Um, everyone, as the years progress, they're going to continue killing the best rams out of the unit. 
it, the Rams are not going to go unnoticed, unseen, and unpursued. And so if this trend continues, I predict here in the next few years, you know, three, four years, or whatever it is, is it's going to be a, a unit to where the best ram that you're going to be able to find is a five- or six-year-old ram. And having said that, is what I'm afraid of is, is we're going to have four, we're going to have four tags for the next two or three years. Things are going to drop off dramatically. The quality of rams, not and not not just size, but the age of rams is gonna is gonna drop off. Where now we're gonna drop it up uh, in four years, five years from now, it's only gonna be one tag in the unit, so that way the unit can catch back up. Well, it's easier to take away than it is to give back. And what I'm saying is, in three years we can take all of the uh, the, the class three and four rams out of there where there's nothing left but uh, class one and two rams and it's going to take another I don't know how many years to where they can get another solid population of three uh, class three and class four rams in there and I have known about this for several months in fact a half a year I've known about it and I've talked with Dave Conrad and and uh, the the wildlife biologist uh, the WMD and I've given them my opinion and told them that if you guys are going to increase the tag based on the formula at a minimum do it three if you're going to do it if you're going to put four tags in there then I I think it would be best that you guys do a split season. But the way I'm seeing it right now, it's, it's going to be four tags from December 1st to the 31st. And quite honestly, um, for the people out there that don't know, it's going to be a, I, I predict a big disappointment for them because you, everybody knows how a sheep hunt is. Each camp is going to have at least a minimum of 10 to 15 people. And if you have four different hunters in there with 10 to 15 different people in there, you know, let's say the first week of sheep season, you know how many people are going to be out there looking for sheep? And it, it, it and I don't know, I, I can't even describe what a, uh, and there's some bad words going into this one, but it's going to be a cluster MFR. And um, quite honestly, I'm really not looking forward to um, uh, being in there next year or for the next couple of years. And well, uh, yeah, I mean, Troy. One thing I could think is possibly they'll have it at four, and maybe hopefully they'll drop it back down to two. Hopefully they don't leave it at four for too long. If they do leave it at four, at least split the season. Um, you know, it's very rare that anybody sheep hunts for 30 days. It just doesn't happen that often. In a unit like that, I think it could be split into two seasons, um, you know, a first and a second. Yeah. Uh, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't eliminate the amount of rams that they're killing, but what it does do is allow the quality of hunt to still maintain, you know, a, a, a higher level 
And, you know, I, I'm not claiming at all to, to know more than a wildlife biologist. Right. Uh, but I do do hunts every year and go on sheep hunts every year. And I do know that quality of hunt and quality of experience is in, in a lot of cases way more important than the size of ram. Right. While, while I, like anybody else, love to photograph and video and, and, and guide and harvest, you know, large, large rams, I think the the part of of the sheep hunt that maybe is going to be lost on this particular hunt is the fact that you know you had forty people out looking for sheep. It's basically just going to be an execution. Yeah. Uh, and, and quite honestly, I, you know there will be some conflicts, and and I just think it's unfortunate. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, Travis, you got anything to say there? Yeah, you know. Back in 2007, when Rick Corvin drew 44B North, his good friend Floyd Green said, Are you kidding me? Why did you draw that? We all know Floyd. And Rick said, You know, Travis said that this is a good unit and there's some good rams. And nobody's looking at it. And, uh, you know, Jay, we both got to hunt it. Doing a great time. Um, this last year was a great time. It, 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 to me, I think it goes on to let's take what everybody else has done and not let's not listen to what they have to say. Let's do our thing, but let them have their success. And let's provide opportunity and, and and let's make money. And I'm sure I'm going to make people mad with that statement. But, you know, that unit got good when they forgot about it. And I'm more than willing to just say, you know, 44B North got great. Phenomenal when everybody forgot about it. And it, man, I I think it's going to be another 10 years before, at least another 10 years, before that unit's going to be what it used to be. I, 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 but the one thing that I really can say, our unit record's going to hold for a while, I guess, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's safe for a long time. Uh, guys, um, what about 45A, B, and C? I don't have any experience God, in there. I love the Copas. I know them very well. It looks like in A, they jumped it from 1 to 3, and in, in B, they jumped it from, from they added a tag from 1 to 2. Um, do, you know, does that mean that the Copas are back? Because, you they know, judging only from have those. two resident lions in there, um, which at one time there were 14. That sheep herd went from 1,400 down to 310, 320. Now they're back up to around 1,000 animals. I think that you're going to see a, a lot of potential. I think you're going to see a lot of great rams coming out of 45A in the next couple of years. Uh, if you remember right, oh, what is it? Uh... Oh, the the uh, Rudd Ram, and uh, 
Oh, gosh. Um, D's Ram were killed in one year in 1965. 186 and 184 were killed in one year. That is the herd that set Arizona on fire. That herd right there is what everybody transplanted rams from to make the 190s in New Mexico, to make the 185s in California, to make Aravipa, to make Canyon Lake. The sheep all started right there, right there in the Copas, man. Um, I was glad to see them get their break. You know, it's hard to go into the Copas and think that you're going to sit on a hill. If you go into Brass Cap, you know someone else has looked at it. But the last time somebody looked at it was 20 years ago, back when Mike Mill, Dean Bowden, Pete Similero, Jim McCaslin, uh, all the way back to Jack Walters. That's what they used to hunt. And I'm glad to see it back. And uh, is is it truly back, in your opinion, Travis, or is it, uh, you know, it um, it just seems it just it's not it's not governed by Arizona Game of Fish. U.S. Fish and Wildlife does their own survey on that refuge. So if they say that they could have three tags, that's pretty much the only place that says we don't care what your formula says. This is our formula. They're not worried about money. They don't care if anybody hunts there or not. If they say that there's three, Arizona Game of Fish would have put seven in there. It will be. That's the next up-and-coming unit. I really, truly believe that. It, it, it has all the genetic potential. And if you go and hunt the Plymouth, or, or, or or if you go hunt the Copas, it's a different place, man. It is. There's there's plant life that is nowhere else. There are no cattle anywhere in there. The storms hit there. The rams have the chance to grow big. They really do. It's a special place to hunt. That's awesome. Um, Eric... Tell me a little bit about 42 and 44A with the two tags. Um, I know you guys harvested a couple of big rams, um, but it seems like there's pretty low sheep numbers there to have two permits still in there. Does that concern you at all? Yeah, Jay, it does. And I'm going to throw this disclaimer out just because, um, you know, we have a good working relationship with with the wildlife managers and and Dave Conrad. Um, and they do a great job for our sheep herd, so it's hard for us to sit back and, and kind of throw stones at them. They have a job to do. They have a formula to follow, so we have to kind of understand that. We try to give our input as much as we can just because we spend so much time out there. We kind of uh, we work a lot with them on giving them info on what we're seeing, surveys, how many collared, collared ewes are we seeing, how many lambs are there, um, et cetera. Um, that particular sheep herd um, has great genetics. Um, Daryl Krantz's ram came out of that that uh, that herd. John Hawkins, Dave Acosta, uh, Caitlin Farrington, 
Steve Quinn. So it's produced five Boone and Crockett Rams. Um, and, and we were a big part of getting those units combined because they use that as a travel corridor from 44 AE South um, to 42. They, they tend to move back and forth. And so what you would find is one year, you know, you'd have 10, 11 Rams on the 44 side. And then the very next year, you're not seeing any sheep at all. And so most of those sheep have kind of kind of found home in the Bighorn Mountains, which is not, it's not a very big place at all. So our, our main concern is after hunting at this last year, um, there's a possibility of five class four rams killed in there in the last two years. Since the survey, Since right? Since the survey that they did in 2013. So that's kind of what they go off. They go, okay, well, we saw five class four rams um, in 2013. Well, in the last two years, we know that five four for sure, maybe five have been killed. So that's our concern with that. I mean, there's still some good up and coming rams. I mean, there's some good um, class three rams, you know, one or two, but um, really as far as class four rams, you know, that's what we tried to relay to those guys saying, look, we don't, we don't know, you know, we we don't have any proof that we have any more class four rams. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely concerning. Um, but then again, you know, we might be saying this and, you know, it's, they're two very big units and that's all the time, you know, that's the time when someone goes into another little mountain range and pulls, you know, a big ram that we've never seen before. And it happens. I mean, every year, every unit ram show up that we never knew about. And we, we thought we had it covered, you know, for example, a ram we had, we named Dracula, we had seen him in 2010, 11. In March of 2012, after that, he went missing. He was in 44. Well, what happened is he moved. He had moved 30 miles and ended up in 42. So, you know, that's just proof right there that those rams are so nomadic. Sure. Sure. I think, um, guys, we've we've uh, got to where we probably need to cut her off for today. Um, we still have lots to cover. Um, maybe we'll have to do another one of these. And, and Eric, I'm glad you bring that up about the game and fish. Uh, certainly in our discussion about this, uh, you know, we're all passionate about it. We all uh, love our desert bighorn. And, and quite honestly, I know all of us here uh, like our Arizona game and fish department. We know they've got a tough job. And, you know, what, what they do, we're not always going to agree with. Uh, I think we would all across the board agree that they do a pretty darn good job and they've done a pretty darn good job over the years yeah, totally. and, and and you know but uh, you know is is it fair for us to have our opinions absolutely and um is it okay that we disagree with them absolutely um i think uh you know we would all agree that they have a tough job and that they do do a phenomenal job compared to a lot of states around they do do a great job um but, uh, guys, it was great to have you guys on. I really appreciate all the insight, uh, and it was fun. I had a great time with you guys, and uh, wish you the best of success uh, on, on your upcoming hunts and upcoming year. And uh, congratulations on uh, just phenomenal success last year. And I look forward to uh, seeing each one of you. Uh, wherever we uh, shall meet next. And uh, uh, just want to uh, thank you for coming on today. All right. Jay thank you, Jay. 
Jay, thank you very much. Um, you know, it really meant the world to us, so thank you. Yeah, right thank on. Thank you, Jay. Right on, guys. You have a good uh, rest of your day, and um, I'll see you when I see you, and take care, okay? All right. All right. You too, brother. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening to the J. Scott Outdoors Western Big Game Hunting and Fishing Podcast brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and join today.